As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, we have another U.S. men's national team roster to discuss. It feels like we have one all the time, but here we are again. We have we, another. We do. We do have one all the time. It never <laughs> ends. Uh, I think, what, is it, have we made it to three weeks since the last camp ended? No? Two and a half? Yeah. Something like that. Feels like one night, you know? It's uh, just one night I know. over and we, over. We haven't seen each other in a while. It's been like <laughs> at least 14 days. Uh, so so we have another roster. Uh, the U.S., of course, is getting prepared to play Mexico on November 12th in Cincinnati and at Jamaica in Kingston on November 16th. This is the only window in the, in the Ocho, in the octagonal, with two games. Um, so just those two games, and then we'll get back on track with three more in January and February. But we're putting the cart way ahead of the horse there. Um, We're going to talk about that roster in depth. Uh, We're also going to talk about some MLS goings on. Houston is making some news this week. They hired Pat Onstad officially as general manager on Monday. Their season ended on Wednesday night up in Montreal, a 2-0 loss. And Tab Ramos was announced on Thursday, will not be coming back. His contract is expiring at the end of the year and will not be renewed, renegotiated, nothing like that. So his time in Houston is at an end, and we have another coaching opening in MLS. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about the San Jose Earthquakes as well. Um, they still have not hired a GM, and it's been over four months now since they fired Jesse Fiorinelli. So we'll talk a little bit about that search and kind of what it says about the club and all of that jazz. Uh, let's start with the roster though, Paul. I'll just run it down real, real quick. Goalkeepers, Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner. These are all alphabetical. Fullbacks, no Serginho Dest. Injured, back injury with Barcelona. He was a late scratch, if you will. 7.30 a.m. Central Time this morning was when Greg Berhalter and company decided that he will not be on the team for this window. Reggie Cannon getting recalled, Anthony Robinson, Joe Scally getting a first call-up, Sam Vines back in the squad, and DeAndre Yedlin are the fullbacks. Center backs, we have Mark McKenzie, we have Chris Richards, Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman. We do not have John Brooks 
He was left out of the team. That was probably the the biggest surprise of this entire roster. Uh, At midfield, two defensive midfielders, Kellen Acosta and Tyler Adams. Four number eights, John Luca Busio, excuse me, five number eights, John Luca Busio, Sebastian Lejet, West McKenney, Eunice Musa, and Christian Roldan. Uh, At winger, you know, winger was probably the most straightforward other than goalkeeper in terms of who got the call. Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah. And at striker, we got a little strange again. Ricardo Pepe, that one we, we knew for all intents and purposes. And Jesus Ferreira, his FC Dallas teammate who does not play striker in MLS, uh, is a striker for the U.S. men's national team. He gets his first World Cup qualifying call-up. So that's the roster, 25 guys. Paul, what stands out to you? What's the headline? Well, the headline is Serginio Dest being out. Uh, still no Gio Reyna, but what stood out to me was John Brooks' absence. I think that that speaks to a more competitive pool and a willingness to open the door for other people when you when and reward them for strong performances. Walker Zimmerman was brought in as an injury replacement for John Brooks last window and performed very well. And John Brooks had not performed well in September. Walker Zimmerman is here and, and John Brooks is not. Mark McKenzie, you know, he, he had a really rough performance in the Nations League. He played fine in his last two performances with the U.S. during World Cup qualifiers. And, you know, I think that was the big call for me. Mark McKenzie over John Brooks was a surprise. And and that to me is kind of the standout surprise of this of this roster and the lack of a true number nine besides Ricardo Pepe. But I don't think that matters as much because it's a two game window. I think we're gonna see a yeah. lot less a lot fewer players on the field for the US in this window than we're used to. Yeah, and Berhalter said as much. The quote, and this is this is verbatim here, it should be reasonable if we're happy with the performance of the players in the first game that they can continue on to play in the second game. We won't need to rest them or rotate them. That should seem reasonable. So if things go well against Mexico, expect a lot of that same lineup against Jamaica. Uh, barring injury or suspension, there are a few guys on yellow cards. And, 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 and if you pick up two, you get suspended for a game. So right. that's consideration. And, and, and well, go well, doesn't necessarily mean win. I mean, if they're playing okay, if they play decent game and they don't get the result, I still don't think you see a lot of changes. Like, I, I don't think that like Brendan Aronson is going to be getting benched for Paul Ariola if you know they draw one one with Mexico or lose two one. <laughs> Who says know? Paul Ariola is not starting against Mexico? He could be starting against Mexico. I'd but, probably uh, good odds on Paul Ariola we, starting against Mexico. When, before we get down there, I do want to spend some more time with John Brooks. And you mentioned Mark McKenzie. I I don't really get it with Mark McKenzie. He has played two of Gank's last nine matches across all competitions. He is like the fourth choice center back at this point. He doesn't play for them. Uh, John Brooks was poor in September. Uh, he was called to the squad for the U.S. in October. He pulled out due to injury. He's been up and down with, with Wolfsburg, but he played a good game in the Champions League against Salzburg in midweek here. Um, he does not get called. Uh, he put out a statement to our buddy Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports a few minutes before Greg Berhalter began his press conference earlier on Thursday. I'll read that statement. In life and in soccer, nothing is ever handed to you, nor should it be. The decision to leave me out of this camp isn't surprising given some of my recent performances for the USMNT that aren't up to my standards. My job now is to work hard to be the very best I can be. I feel great about this week's Champions League performance and my recent play with Wolfsburg, and will keep building on my performance there until I reach my goal of helping the USMNT reach the next World Cup. Um, Berhalter, I think it's fair to say, 
uh, was felt good about that statement. Um, he was asked about Brooks and he brought up the statement before anyone even asked him about it. Um, and he, pra- he praised the statement and, and you know, he, he basically said, I don't assume that this is going to be, you know, the end of John's story with the national team. I'm sure he'll be back. It's just about getting him perform informed and performing at a high level when you get the opportunity. And this was the weird thing to me with this press conference, Paul, because Berhalter talked a little bit about being guys needing to be informed and guys, you know, getting looks based on that, but then other guys not needing to be informed yeah, and but getting he calls also, up based on yeah, that. And like, that and balance. like, I get it. There's, there's, there's like, every, there, I get it. Like, you know, some guys, it's, it's going to be a different standard than others. But the John Brooks one to me is a little bit strange because he is a better player than Mark McKenzie. I think it's fair to say that. He's been a Champions League group stage level center back for a few years. Mark McKenzie doesn't play for his Belgian club team. Like, that's just facts. And McKenzie is a little bit faster than Brooks, I think is fair to say. And he can probably, you know, Mexico and Jamaica, they're, they're athletic teams. So if the U.S. is going to press high, maybe McKenzie can do a better job of scrambling or covering or whatever. And Berhalter basically said that. But I, I just don't get it. I'm kind of scratching my head and I'm wondering, is there something else going on here with Brooks maybe? Or did something else go on with Brooks here maybe? I don't know. I probably shouldn't even say that. Um, but I said it. Cat's out the bag now. So I don't know. This one is just weird to me. I, I think sometimes you make a choice to send a message that's more important in the, the long term than it is in the short term. And I think that John Brooks needed to be put on notice. Uh, you know, he was very poor in September. He's been poor in games in Central America. He's supposed to be a leader of the team. And he it was a really, really bad performance in Honduras. He did not have... Yeah, he wasn't, good against, he wasn't good against Canada either. It was the same thing. Yeah, and and you're supposed to be a leader, and and that's what you're bringing. And I think I think again, this is me reading into it, but I think this is sending a message to John Brooks, and he hasn't but, been good. But Paul, he, he he just got back on the field. Uh, they sorry, called him a, in October, though. Yeah, but but that doesn't mean then his performances for a while after October camp were not great. And if you have, know, but if, if you're, you're going to send. If you're going to send a message for September camp, wouldn't you do no, it? No, but if you time? if you told him in September if things don't get better, you're not coming in. Then he doesn't come in due to injury and things get worse at the club level. Yeah, he just had a good performance yesterday. He had he had a couple good ones. I don't know. I McKenzie don't know. has McKenzie hasn't even been playing again. It's not about McKenzie, right? Because you're playing two games in this window. You're looking at the center back position and you're saying, okay. We're going to be starting these two guys, and and maybe we play the third center back. If you don't believe Mark, he said, I believe he called Mark McKenzie cover on multiple he did. occasions. Mark McKenzie is not going to be playing unless so something goes wrong. John yeah. Brooks is not that. You're not bringing John Brooks into camp and assuming he's cover. That this is this is the same argument, and it's a reality of why people staunchly, staunchly were in favor of Jurgen Klinsmann not bringing Landon Donovan. Would Landon Donovan accept the role? Who was in favor of that? A lot of people were defended Klinsman saying, you know, if Landon wasn't going to be willing to accept a role off the bench and was going to cause problems in the locker room, certain guys don't play certain roles well. So all my point is is saying that I think that it's not about Mark McKenzie as much as it's about John Brooks. I think in the long run, Chris Richards is going to win the starting job. It might even be in this camp, though I don't know if they start him against Mexico. I think Walker Zimmerman starts. I would assume Mexico. it'll be Walker Zimmerman, but I do think that 
I, I went back and watched Chris Richards in the Costa Rica game. I thought he was pretty good. Even the penalty, his ability to recover and get into a position to make a tackle. Yeah, he was in a bad position that wasn't of his own making on right. the play. He sort of had to scramble and make a make a play. And, and, and to close did. that ground, to close yeah. that ground, it's not not every center back. I don't know. I don't think John Brooks is closing that ground. And and he he got in a position to get the ball. He just. He just put his leg between the ball and the foot instead and kind of was late pulling it back. But all that being said, I thought I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, he was um, his, solid. His he passing was, was very good. I think he 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 needed to be better in his duels, um, certainly. But on an overall performance, when you watched him, he, I thought he was pretty good. He was certainly – the things that Greg Berhalter is going to like is that he completed like 97% of his passes or something like that. So – you know, I think Chris Richards is, is is being put into a position to win the job. I just think when you start to factor in all those things about John Brooks, you know, maybe you're – and clearly John Brooks got the message. He said, I, my performances have not been good enough. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. This isn't – so that's a good sign too that this didn't catch him by surprise. Yeah, and I think it bodes well for Brooks, you know, if he can stay on track and keep playing – for Wolfsburg and keep playing reasonably well for him to get recalled in January and February. Let me also state for the record that I do not, do not agree with Jurgen Klinsmann's decision not to bring Landon Donovan. <laughs> who, who is supporting that? I've heard that's the argument I've always had as a counter argument when I, when I throw a fit to people about Landon being left off the roster. I don't think I've, it's been a while, admittedly. It's been seven, over seven years now, but I, I don't really remember that many people being cool with that decision. There were a lot of people, that, a lot of, there are a lot more Jurgen sycophants than you realize. I, I mean, I, I remember those people, but I don't remember a ton of people being like, yeah, he's, you're right. He should have called Brad Davis and Mixed Discarried over Landon. I, I don't think there were that many people that were barking down that tree. Anyway. We are on a massive tangent. Um, to your point, Paul, Burhalter said it. I read the quote. They're going to try and stick, I think, with mostly the same 11 in these two games. And so a lot of these choices that we're going to be talking about as controversial or the exclusions or the snubs or whatever, they're not even really going to matter that much in context of these two games, right? Bringing guys into camp, that can make impact in the long run. So I'm not going to say they don't matter. Um but, you know, if things go well, it shouldn't make too big of a difference. I think we can anticipate based on everything we've seen over the summer and over World Cup qualifying. And based on what Burhalter said today, Miles Robinson will be starting that game against Mexico. And it sort of seems like Zimmerman will get the nod, but it seems like Richards is still in contention for that game as well. And, and McKenzie, as you said, will be cover. Um, let's move along here. Um we can just go position by position. We skipped the goalkeepers. I don't really think it's worth spending a ton of time on the who got called and who didn't. We can talk a little bit about who's going to start. That's, I think, still, I mean, Berhalter said it's still up in the air between Stefan and Turner. Um, you know, Stefan has actually got a couple of games since the October window for Man City, one in the Premier League, one in the Carabao. I don't know how to pronounce that word. The yeah, League I think Cup. That's right. He just signed a new deal today. Just with signed Manchester a new City. through. T- through 2025, I believe. Um, so he is locked up there for, for quite a long time. I, I don't know which way they're going to go here. Um, I'm thinking that they played Stefan in Costa Rica in part to sort of set him up to play against Mexico. And so I, I'm leaning that way. Um, but I'll take Burhalter at his word that 
that it's still up in the air and they're going to assess when the two get into camp on Sunday and Monday. Yeah, my gut says Stefan as well. I think listening to Burhalter's press conference, uh, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, his podcast with Bobby Warshaw, when he talked about um, the goalkeeper position and what the goalies bring and the idea of building out of the back and building out of the back to score goals and um, stretching a team by being able to play the ball back to the goalkeeper confidently and pointing to the goal that Sergio Desket scored against Costa Rica and how that started with Zach Steffen. I took all of that and I thought, mm-hmm. okay, Zach Steffen's playing against Mexico. Yeah. Um, for whatever it's worth, I talked to Matt Turner on Saturday for a story I'm doing on the Revs. I asked him about the situation in Columbus where he got benched. Um, and he told me that, that he and Burhalter had a personal conversation between the two of us. He didn't want to get into the details, but he did say, you know, to know that it was a good conversation for both. Um, he said, I think we were both able to express a lot to each other in that moment. I understand why he wanted to make the decision for that game. Now we'll see what happens in the next window. Obviously I'm a competitor. I want to be out on the field as much as I can, but I'm going to do whatever role I'm given for whatever game to the best of my ability. I appreciate what he did. He sat me down, looked me in the eye and allowed me to ask questions. Spain explained a little bit about the decision. So that's where Matt Turner's head is at. Um, not a real surprise there. I don't think, um, but we'll see where it goes going forward. I, I, I agree with you, Paul. I think it's going to be Stefan against Jamaica and then, or against Mexico. And then we'll see against Jamaica. All right. So we've taken care of goalkeepers, taken care of center backs, fullbacks. Next, next stop, next stop on the list. <laughs> no dust. No dust. What do you, what do you think the impact is? Yeah, it's a big impact in how you play and what you anticipate coming up the right side for the United States, how much you play through that side, um, the the way Mexico has to defend you. Um, I think also some of the security that you can feel defensively. If, if Serginio has a poor game defensively, you have to kind of factor that in, the possibility of that happening, even though he was very good in October. You have to look at the way he played in September as well. That's the reality of Serginio Des. Um, but I think DeAndre Edlin's going to start it right back. He's a World Cup veteran he's played a lot of qualifiers he has played against mexico in finals um probably in world cup qualifiers as well i would guess um considering how much he's played for the u.s um in multiple cycles and you know greg berhalter essentially let it slip that deandre edlin was going to be starting indirectly he's talking about yellow card suspension and jeopardy and he mentioned deandre next to tyler adams and weston mckinney and if Weston and Tyler get yellows, if DeAndre gets yellow, we need backup there for the second game. <laughs> yeah, right. So DeAndre you know, Edlin's starting. Edlin's starting. And, and then I think that it's an easy answer at left back. Anthony Robinson right now is the starting left back for the United States. And and yeah. he's a guy that's been good. You know, there's there's a big question mark after him. You know, there's a big question mark after him. So I think he, he's got the job on lock. Yeah, right now. I mean, as on lock as anyone can have any job, basically. <laughs> well, in this camp, for sure. <laughs> I mean, like... John Brooks was an on-lock starting center back two months ago. Hey, if Joe Scally emerges as a starting right back, as a potentially good starting right back for the U.S., you're the way on he has kick, for man. Gladbach, You're dis- you are disrespecting Serginio Dest is going to left back. I, everyone, I've, I've been called way worse things than I, I've been told that that I'm disrespectful to Anthony Robinson in way worse terms in the comment section of the Athletic many many times over. And you know what? And they were all right, Paul. Of course they were. And, the commenters are, are always and, right. And here you are. You're still disrespecting him. I, I don't know what you have against Anthony, but I got nothing I but feel, love for Anthony. I feel Robinson. I feel like you owe him an apology at this point. I I already apologized to Anthony Robinson. 
for doubting for doubting him. I really I really didn't see anything honestly out of Anthony Neither Robinson for a long time, and then all of a sudden, boom! And and he's been productive. You know, I spoke to some scouts. We've done this before. You know, he, he's much yeah. better when the the play goes through the right side, and that's that's an interesting side effect of no Serginio is that you know they might be looking to play through Anthony Robinson on the left a little bit more, and it's not his strength. It's not. No, it's better when the it's not really. Not really a DeAndre Yedlin strength either, to be honest. You know, he's kind of a similar mold to Robinson, just on the opposite side. Let's talk about the two other right backs here. Joe Scali, you just mentioned. Reggie Cannon, familiar face, who's been gone for a minute. He was at the Nations League. He was at the Gold Cup. He actually appeared in both finals against Mexico over the summer. Um, But he got into a little transfer dispute, spat, drama with Boa Vista, and basically only started playing for them like two weeks ago. Uh Oddly enough, his three appearances this season, all at midfield on the right side. <laughs> he hasn't played right back yet. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But uh, we know what he brings to the U.S. He's played a decent amount under Burhalter. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him play at some point in this camp. It doesn't sound like it's going to be against Mexico, but, you know, potentially against Jamaica. Uh, I would be very intrigued to see Scali, though. You know, this is a guy who's been he's 18 he's been doing really well for Munchen Gladbach and the Bundesliga you know they just beat Berhalter references today they just beat Bayern Munich five nothing in, in the cup there in Germany and you know Berhalter said it when we see him going against Sané or Alfonso Davies on the side he's being tested and he's standing up to those tests for us it was just gathering enough information he's a young player we wanted to see him performing consistently at a high level and he's done that and he has I wouldn't mind honestly I mean I don't think this is gonna happen I would I would be pretty psyched if he got thrown in the eleven against Mexico. If Berhalter threw a surprise at us. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I'd be pretty psyched about it. Yeah, I don't think that's the ideal place to debut an eighteen year old. But but, but, like, but he didn't have the, an ideal I debut mean, either for Gladbach. For Gladbach he debuted is in the Bundesliga at left back against Bayern Munich. Yeah. That was and, his he, debut. and he did fine. And he played well. He actually played yeah. well in that game. Um like, I don't think it's gonna happen here. It's a little bit different for Gladbach playing Bayern Munich and the expectations of that game than it is for the United States against Mexico in a World Cup qualifier. Yeah, the the expectation matters. the expectations and the mentality might be a little bit different, but but the talent yeah, but Bayern it, has that, more that of it. We've learned that. We've learned that. But some but some guys step up to those moments, right? And I don't know anything about Joe Scally, so I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like like I know if he would step up to that moment. Joe Scally doesn't even know if he would step up to that moment. He's never been in it. Right? Um I'm just saying I would be excited if he got the chance. I think Joe Scali is going to get thrown in on the road in Jamaica in a World Cup qualifier against some pretty good players. Yeah, Mikel Antonio. If they show up, Leon Bailey. They they got called in this time. We'll see. Um, but yeah, Leon Bailey on that wing. That's no joke. It's better than what Mexico has. Maybe I said it. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'll let Felipe, Felipe Cardenas will be listening to this episode, and he will let you know when he gets. Hurt Gomez is going to scream at me about Tecatito, right? Um, no, I'm kidding. Herc, you're not listening to this, but if you are, I've only got love for you. Hey, um, Herc, Herc had a really good podcast appearance on uh, our good friend's podcast, yeah. uh, U.S. Football with with Michele Giannone and Nico Cantor. I just listened to that podcast the other day. 
um i was walking my son uh for two hours and i, I listened to it i i thought it was uh i thought it was a really good podcast i i i really enjoyed it so in espanol and in, in, in spanish but a recommendation to any spanish speakers or non-spanish speakers who yeah, maybe are even um, you know you know even if you got that high school fluency like me you know you can go in and maybe you can uh it can be a little bit of practice so yeah it was really good Michele i highly, highly recommend it i'm sure they have a show out probably already talking about this roster This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Moving on into the midfield, defensive, straightforward, no surprises. Tyler Adams, unless he gets hurt or picks up a yellow card, he is going to start both matches. Uh, and if he does get hurt or pick up a yellow card, Kellen Acosta will be there to provide cover at the six. And that's that. Uh, at the eight, McKenney, Weston McKenney, he's been scoring goals for Juve. Paul, you actually spoke to him earlier today. Um, he's been playing well over there despite Juve struggling badly in Syria. Ah, I would assume that he'll be in there. Um, I would assume Eunice Musa, but he's kind of had a rough go at Valencia and Greg Berhalter apparently loves him some John Luca Busio and rightfully so. So I don't, I don't think it's completely locked on, but I would, I would assume that first game it'll be Musa McKenney and Adams in the midfield. The other guys there, Christian Roldan, Sebastian Legette. People aren't going to be happy about that last one. And frankly, that's understandable to me. Yeah. Well, first I'll say I agree with you. I think when we think about how the U.S.-Mexico games play out, they are extremely high paced. The tempo of the game is much higher than most other games. They are very much more transition-oriented games. I mean, that, that game, that Nations League final, that was like barely soccer. It was like track meet. It yeah, was awesome. And, Don't and, get me wrong. And that's how it is. The, the energy level is really, really high. The emotion is very high. And, and what you get is a, a transition game. And when you think about transition soccer in the U.S. national team, like Moose is a much better fit for that than Gianluca Busio. 100%. That's not Busio's game. So I think I think we'll definitely – and it's, it's very much – um, Weston McKenney's game. It's very much Eunice Musa's game. It's very much Tyler Adams' game. And that's part of the reason why the U.S. had success in the Nations League. I mean, Tyler Adams came in in, in injury time, or extra time, rather. To <laughs> I think he ended up playing like 75 and, minutes. And played, yeah, he played a good <laughs> chunk of minutes. Uh, he, came, well, he came in very, very late, I think, in the second half, and then played all of the extra time as well. Yeah, and, um, there, was, and there was like 15 minutes of stoppage time at the end of the second <laughs> half. <laughs> right. But those, those players fit really well with USA-Mexico tempo. And that's a good, really good advantage for the United States. When you have that, we haven't even seen Musa in one of these games. But he, that's that fits his style of play. His, he, I mean, we've barely seen Adams in these games. Yeah. So I, I, I like it. I think it'll be Musa. 
Um, and and when we talk about you know you mentioned this earlier, Sam, we can we can have the debate that we're about to have about Sebastian Legette against versus Luca Dellatore. In the end, it shouldn't matter. I don't think we'll see either Sebastian Legette or would nor would I, would we see Luca Dellatore here. I think when you look at this window, your hope is that Adams, uh, McKenny, and Musa slash Busio play a significant number of the minutes. Yeah, I mean it w- Adams and McKenny are both on yellows. And I mean, would you be surprised if either of them picked one up against Mexico? No, like McKenny is always in the middle of that stuff. He constantly gets choked out by Mexico players. Like every game he plays against them, it's kind of remarkable, actually. Um, So yeah, they they, either of those guys could easily end up with a yellow and be suspended for Jamaica. Yeah, and I think you have Kellen Acosta there, and I think you, I think you have Gianluca Busio there. But this, but this is where (sighs) I hear you, man. If everything goes according to plan, then yeah, like you probably wouldn't see Luca De La Torre or Sebastian Legette regardless. I hear you. When do things go according to plan in World yeah. Cup qualifying? No, I, I hear you. I, I Look, I look at Sebastian Legette over the last two windows, and I look at the Canada game and, and the Panama game. That's what stands out to me. Honduras, when he came in in the second half, Honduras was so wide open defensively in the second half of that game and got diced up by the U.S., and Legette played well, but you know it was a uh, it was um, the type of game you, where you a were very like Legette, high on his performance. He was very good, game. but it was yeah. when you go and watch it back, they were so bad defensively. Honduras, the yeah. game, the the amount of space in the midfield in between their lines was ridiculous, and I, I just it sticks with me. Panama especially, and Canada for that reason, but Panama especially, it just was it's too timid and in a big moment. And when you ask a player to do that in those big moments, to step into those roles twice and, and the player fails to deliver both times, it gets harder for me to justify his inclusion. I don't know if it's just, again, I mean, the coaches have to weigh all sorts of things. I don't know. We don't know the locker room dynamics. We don't know how important or not important Sebastian Legette is in the dressing room uh, on the training field. Sometimes you need certain guys who hold themselves to a, a certain standard in training sessions and how they take care of themselves and the what they talk about in the locker room and the you know what they've been through before and all those things. I don't know. We don't and so it gets a lot harder to discuss Sebastian Legette in a roster versus should he be on the field. I can I can say I don't trust him to start for the US I mean, national I, team. Everything you're saying is correct and true and valid, but at the same time I think he was so poor last window. It's just hard. It's just hard, man, to, to include him roster. on the team. He was left off the roster against Costa Rica. I, I, he and and no one could complain about it. No, like like everything was sideways and backwards against Panama. And I don't I don't get it. He's got decent feet, man. He's just too conservative when he gets with the national team. And um, De La Torre, he got 13 minutes. It wasn't like it was a huge sample. Um, I didn't see him play against Ajax over the weekend, but by all accounts, he performed nicely. Um, so I, I I don't know, man. I I'm sure he is in Holland right now, and I'm guessing he's pretty disappointed um, that he's not on this roster, um, and probably wondering what he needs to do in order to get back in the mix, um, and and probably not having a lot of great answers to that question, honestly. So I don't know. I I think that he deserved a call over Legit, but um, grand scheme probably doesn't matter so much for these two games, but these things do matter for the future. 
right? These qualifiers stack on each other. And the more time you spend with Burhalter, the more chances you get, the more top of mind you are. That that matters for the next window and the window after and eventually the World Cup, knock on wood. I hope that came through. It sounded pretty good, I thought. Um, <laughs> so, so these things do matter to these individuals, um, even if, you know, in these two games, they might not make a huge difference for the team. So anyway, that's that's the central midfield breakdown. Wingers, Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah. The big question here is how much can Christian Pulisic play? You know, he he only returned to training for Chelsea recently from the injury that he suffered all the way back on September on 8th Monday, in Honduras. On Monday, he came back into team training and he played 15 minutes on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, was that Wednesday that he played? I am losing track of days. I thought that was on Tuesday. Might have been Tuesday. Um, I have no idea what day of the week it is. <laughs> pretty sure it was Tuesday. I, it doesn't matter. He played 16 minutes at Malmo. <laughs> he got back onto the field. He is on this team. Is he 90 minutes fit? I'm guessing no. Um, is he going to want to start against Mexico? 1 million percent. Yes. Um, and we'll see how Burhalter manages it. We'll see if he gets in for Chelsea in the premier league this weekend. Um, base, here's the quote from, from Burhalter. We're going to see what type of minutes he gets this weekend. He just started training with the team at the beginning of the week. It was unexpected that he was going to play against Malmo and he ended up playing a little bit. So for us, it's about progressing him in a safe way. Safe being the operative word. We know he's valuable to the team. We know he really wants to be on the field, but we're also not willing to risk anything. It's about how he feels, and depending on that, it'll dictate what role he plays in these two games. Not willing to risk anything. Gotta be safe. Uh, he got asked about Brendan Aronson playing this is on the, the key right. Question. This is the key he got, question. He got asked about Brendan Aronson playing on the right-hand side. The assumption in that question is that Christian Pulisic will be playing on the left. And Burhalter kind of looked on the Zoom, and he was sort of puzzled and, and being like, well, you know, I think, yeah, Brendan can play there on the right, but I don't have the exact quote in front of me. But he was like, I, I mean, or he can play on the left. He's been playing on the left mainly. Like <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's probably going to play on the left, but he could play on the right. And yeah. and it was because he didn't realize that the person was factoring in. He didn't. He, Jonathan he didn't Tanner account for that assumption. That the yeah. assumption was that Christian Pulisic was going to be starting on the left. And I think that to me was an indication that Christian Pulisic is not going to be starting on the left against Mexico. That it'll be Brendan Aronson. And I don't know. Ariola or Tim Weah on the right side. I mean, it's we a, know who he preferred in October. I think it's probably Paul Ariola. I do. Be mad. I think. I mean, you know what? Though he was so good against Jamaica, he's going to be good against Mexico again. These games are about intensity. Good. We grade him on a curve, and we need to but say look that. At, look at how effective Tim Weah was coming in late against Jamaica. Like that matters. That matters. So, so yeah, I, I I do agree with you, and I want to break this down from kind of start to finish here. So Burhalter. His proclivities, his preferences in his wingers are guys who stretch vertically, verticality, right? And who can really, really press the opposing center backs. Aronson, we know he's great at that. Aronson's going to start. He's been excellent. I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Ariola, great at pressing as well. Ariola struggles in the final third with the ball. He's not good with it. The final product is lacking both in terms of the shot and the assist. Tim Weah is better at that stuff than Paul Ariola is. Um, Paul Ariola got the start in all three games last window. No, you're, you're shaking your head. He did get the start. He didn't start. He was in the starting lineup against Costa Rica. He got injured in warmups. 
Tim Way was inserted into the lineup 10 minutes before the game, whatever it was. And he did pretty well. He bounced back from poor performance in Panama, and he did pretty well against Costa Rica. He sort of scored the winning goal. Um, I don't know if that ever got changed from an own goal. <laughs> I don't think it officially did, but he, but yeah, he scored it. He, he basically scored. Um, he scored he, so he scored the winning goal, um, he, and, he did, and he played pretty well. You know, and, and he's a guy that can play some striker as well. But he has more quality on the ball, in possession, and in the final third than Paul Areola does. He might not be as intense and tireless of a presser as Paul Areola is. So that's the difference there. Burhalter loves those guys because he loves wearing the other team down and then bringing in some guys off the bench, solutions in Burhalterese, that can then exploit those tired defenders. Wea did that against Jamaica last window. Prime example. We've seen the U.S. do it against Mexico in the Nations League final and in and in the Gold Cup final. We saw the U.S. do it in the Gold Cup like damn near every game of the knockout. Yeah, Christian Roldan did it you know, yeah. numerous times. So given all of that, just prepare yourself. Gird but your loins for an Areola Aronson start yeah, against Mexico. There's another reason why. When we talk about coming off the bench and the value that's there, we haven't gotten to this position yet, but... Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira are the two forwards. Ricardo Pepe is going to be starting. He's going to be playing as many minutes as he can. Against Mexico, the type of game that's going to be played, what we talked about, the the tempo of the game, the transition style of the game, the back and forth nature. If something happens to Pepe, your best sub in for Mexico for that game at that position is Tim Weah, not Jesus Ferreira. I think Jesus Ferreira is a is probably a good fit for Jamaica. You get a lead, you bring him in, he helps hold the ball, he finds the runners in behind. <sighs> and, you know, I actually think Jesus Ferreira would be a, a, a perfect combination player for Christian Pulisic in the right game, in the right moments. But I think, you know, ideally, Ricardo Pepe goes 90 in this game. But Tim Weah is a sub that can come on in both of those positions, either of those positions that you need. Because you know you're bringing Christian Pulisic in at winger. You know, assuming so assuming he doesn't. If start. you do that, your ideal move, in my opinion, is taking out Paul Ariola and putting in Christian Pulisic and moving Brendan Aronson to the right side. So there might not be two winger subs. You know, it might be Tim Weah going to the number nine. It might be something like that. And I, so in other words, I just think Weah gives you more flexibility off of the bench in that first game. You could also theoretically move from winger to striker mid-game with a sub coming in. It's um, tougher to do that. I just it, think it is. I, he just gives more flexibility. That's all I'm he, saying. He, he does. I, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I would probably start start with. I think we're overthinking this a little bit. Get your best players on the field. If Pulisic can't go, I think you start with. So I don't know. That's that's my thought on this. You talked a lot about the strikers just now. I think we can spend a little bit more time there. And, Paul, basically what you just outlined and the, the need for Wea and potentially playing him as striker and him being the best option at that position besides Pepe against Mexico. I, this is another one, man. And, and I'll give a little bit more, um, you know, space, grace here because there are not good options at this position for the U.S. There, there just aren't. Um, so it's not like they're rolling in riches up top. But there's one true striker on this roster. And if something happens to Pepe, what do you do? You're in a tough spot then. And and, and it's of your own making. And I, I don't get that. Like, ideal, again, 
If everything goes smoothly, this is not a problem. But when does everything go smoothly? Something's going to go wrong. Always does. It's just the nature of the game. And in that case, do you want do you want to have to be like, oh crap? Is it Tim Weah? Is it Jesus Ferreira playing the number nine? You know, neither guy who plays that position regularly or all of the time for their clubs. Yeah, but there's I, that's room, just, it's there's just room such, to make it's such a roll of the that's dice. The nice man. thing about World Cup qualifying is. If you if you really if, if something happened to not Pepe in game in Mexico, not in game though no, not in game I don't though. think it's a big concern in game I think you're okay making those adjustments in game I think I if you're going down to Jamaica and you you're without Ricardo Pepe then you you probably then call you Darryl call DK. Darryl DK yeah um, but I'm interested to see Jesus Ferreira with this team I am he's, he's been great he's, in MLS I don't mean to disparage just, him he's, not just he's great in MLS. playing really well when he's played. In that number nine position for the U.S., he's played well. He has. That was a USLB team that it, they played. It doesn't matter. That Trinidad and Tobago his, team was a terrible team. It does matter. It's his style of play at that position. His ability to find the runs in behind the lines. The same thing that helps benefit Ricardo Pepe was with FC Dallas. The whole system, the whole idea of Greg Berhalter's system is to essentially built around the, the wingers – making runs in behind the line, and specifically when healthy, Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, to get into those dangerous positions as often as they can. If Ricardo if, if Ricardo Pepe goes out and Jesus Ferreira comes in, ideally he's coming in with Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson and finding them, making those outside-in diagonal runs behind the back line and, and putting them in on goal. Is it ideal? No. The forward position for the U.S., the forward depth chart for the U.S., is not supposed to be here at this point. The hope was that Josh Sargent would be banging in goals in Germany or in England. You know, that was the hope. It hasn't happened. Josh Zardes injured. Daryl DK, six goals in his last eight games. Half of them are penalties. I hope he emerges. But I, I was a big, big Daryl DK fan going into the Gold Cup. I still think he can be an, a quality international forward, but he was invisible in the knockout stage. He was not. He was not good. I think he was dealing with a bit of an injury, if memory is certain. I'm. I'm not. He had a shoulder injury for the last game. Jordan Pifok, I've not been a fan of in general. I don't think he brings enough to the table as you know to actually play soccer when he's been asked to play longer appearances. He he's he's another one who I think fades from the game. So. Is it is it an ideal position? No, but I don't know that we're like at pulling our hair out stage of Jesus Ferrer or Daryl DK. Like I don't know that Daryl DK has done enough yeah. to say that. No, that's totally fair. Like it's fair, but I, I guess what I would say is like one is a striker and one isn't. Like Berhalter and you can say all you want. Oh, he plays striker for the national team. He's played twenty six games for Dallas this year. I would guess that he has played zero as a striker. I would need to go back and double check that. I'm gonna, I'm but they have Pepe. Right they have Pepe and Frank O'Hara on that team. Um, I don't think that that Jesus is is playing up top as a number nine by himself ever for FC Dallas. Um, you know, Paul, we listed him as narrowly missing the cut in our prediction piece for the roster as a midfielder. We didn't list him as a striker. We did that for a reason. It's because that's where he plays. You know, and, and, and I, I think he's a good player. I just, you know, you, you referenced the, the games that he's played for the U.S. before, and the one against Trinidad and Tobago, he had two goals. He had so much time and space in that game. He's not going to have that in, in World Cup qualifier. You know, there, there isn't going to be that. 
and there it isn't that in MLS to be fair. Um, so it's not like, you know, he's never seen anything like this, but I, I don't know. I think it's just risky to go into this without having another player who is capable of playing as a number nine, who you aren't maybe starting at winger. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, and so I don't know, we'll see, hopefully nothing goes wrong and this doesn't matter. And just for but, context, Sam, just for context, Jesus Ferrer has played 88 minutes this season for Dallas as a center forward or striker, according to yeah, Smarter so, Scout, 77 so one, minutes last one year, 1,329 minutes in 2019. He did play. Okay, no, I, okay that's so, fine. So, uh, so he, not, I'm not saying not he's not. Two years, not for two years. And I'm not I would, saying he's not capable, but it's been two years. This is notable, and the, and Greg Berhalter brought this up, and this is off of a very small sample size. But the way Smarter Scout works is it shows different qualities, attacking outboard, defending quality, defending quantity, um, and they give scores through 100 based on how how good you do how well you did that. And in his one game playing center forward, his his defending quality, his suits for his defending quality was 97. Okay, so that's good. So he you know when when Greg Berhalter talked about his ability to press in that position, you know that that's that plays out here. Um, but. You're right. I mean, he's not a number nine. And the, but again, I you run through that depth chart. I, I'm not. I I don't think I would be mentally ready to see Josh Sargent in this team again. You know who the one guy I, I, I mean, would have wanted to see? We haven't talked about two. There are two guys we haven't talked about. There's only one guy worth talking about, and it's Josie Altador. You don't. You're just gonna do Brian White like that? I'm gonna do Brian White <laughs> so dirty. <laughs> you're disrespecting hard on this show. Um, Josie Altador. I mean, is it time to have a Josie Altador discussion? <laughs> I mean, my thought was, if you're gonna bring Josie, this is the window to bring Josie. It's Josie uh, coming in late against Mexico with Christian Pulisic, somebody he's he's combined with and played with very very well in the past with the U.S. national team. The question is just, how would Josie vibe with this young team? That's the question. I I wouldn't have any concerns about that. I I, I think. I would have called Josie Altador in this window. I wouldn't have been mad about it, but I understand why he wasn't at the same time. So, I mean, now's um, the time. He's in form. It's Mexico. This would have been the time. All right. Well, I guess we'll never know. Uh, Paul, we've talked a lot about this roster. Let's put a bow on it real quick before we go to a break. I guess my overall take, mostly pretty acceptable roster i don't really have big complaints for the most part the brooks exclusion sticks out for me i don't think it makes a big difference in these two games and i don't think it makes a huge difference in the long run because of how brooks appears to be taking this i think it'll actually end up being a nice little positive for him and i think we'll see him back in january um the midfield luca de la torre his exclusion um in the striker situation i've sort of made my thoughts clear on there I don't think the De La Torre thing is going to be that big of a deal in the short term. Maybe in the long term, that one comes home to roost a little bit more. Probably not that big of a deal. Striker, I would say I have more concerns about um, just in terms of the potential for that to go wrong in these two games. But we'll see. They didn't have a ton of great options. So overall, pretty good with a few caveats, but the world ain't perfect. So here we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. No, I don't have major major issues with this team. I think um, for me, it's it's uh, it's going to be such an interesting window because we we're going to have a big break after this to take a breath 
And and the Mexico game is massive. It's a six point game at the top of the table. Um, and it could, I think we've learned anything in this qualifying journey. It's that the ups and downs of every single game are, are emotional six, are, whiplash. Um, yeah, it's really, really, really jarring. It's tornado. So we'll see what happens. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm excited. Get ready to step into the twister. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with some MLS talk. Houston Dynamo. San Jose Earthquakes. Maybe Chicago Fire. I don't know. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. We just talked a lot about the U.S. Men's National Team roster. I don't want to talk anymore about that. You probably don't want to listen to it anymore. We we broke it down in detail. Let's talk a little bit about more MLS things. Houston Dynamo are making some news, Paul. Their season is over. They do not play on decision day. They finished with a bad record. Uh, they've missed the playoffs now seven out of eight years. They were once one of the most successful organizations in the league. Before this run of seven and eight years, they won two MLS Cups immediately on their arrival into Houston. Um, they made two more in 2011 and 2012, lost both of those to the Galaxy. But, you know, perennial playoff contender making deep runs, good good club, made some runs in CONCACAF. Uh, and here they are now, kind of a, a laughing stock a little bit. They have made some changes, of course. We've talked about some of them on the show. They have a new owner, Ted Siegel. He bought the club from Gabriel Brenner in June. He made a change of GM. He dismissed Matt Jordan, uh, I believe August 30th and Pat Onstad, the goalkeeper for those successful years in Houston was hired as GM on Monday. He came from his previous role as technical director at the Columbus crew. He made a change of his own. Tab Ramos not going to be coming back. As I mentioned off the top, um, there's still a lot of unknowns about the Houston team and exactly what Siegel is going to do. But they do have a very blank canvas now. Onstad has to go out. It's his first week on the job. He's got a head coaching vacancy. He's got potentially three designated player spots, and he's got potentially two U22 spots that he can fill. Preseason opens in a little more than two months. Welcome to the job, Pat. Paul, when you look at Houston and every all the changes and, and the job that Onstad has looking in front of him, what do you see? What do you think? I think a lot of it's TBD. A lot of it. You know, how much does this ownership group really want to spend? Do they know what spending big means? You know, when you're talking about you're going to see different salary numbers, that's a good thing. But, you know, let's talk about transfer numbers, too. Let's talk about acquisition costs. That that matters arguably more. Um, Pat Onstad's, uh, to me, is still a TBD. He's worked for two very good GMs. He worked for Greg Berhalter and Tim Bezbachenko. If, if, I were, if you were to learn under two GMs, I don't know that you could pick Without leaving a club, two pretty good options. Um, so I, I I have some faith and confidence that he he picked up some pretty good habits uh, in Columbus. Coach, 
Big decision. Big decision when we're talking about the trajectory of this club, of the message it's going to send about where where you want to go, what you want to look like, who you want to be. I've got an intriguing name, two intriguing names. One we talked about last week for FC Dallas and the Chicago I just th- Fire. I just I just thought of an intriguing name. Well, the one the one that that's different to me that I think would be the most intriguing. Imagine Houston hiring Luigi Gonzalez. Oh, a little shot across the bow. Yeah, of of rival FC Dallas. You you want to get your academy going? You want to send a signal that you're going to develop players as well as you know go out and spend and say, hey, maybe Luigi went to the playoffs two out of three years. With Dallas playing a lot of young players, selling those players. Hey, come here, help us to to create an academy. But also, we'll give you some money, and see if you can win with that. That that to me would be the most interesting potential hire for the Houston Dynamo. I don't want to say most interesting, but it would certainly be a way to announce yourself in the state of Texas. Yeah, big time. Um... You know, they, they're a club that needs to do a lot more work with their academy as well. I think Tab Ramos started that process. I've heard good things about what he was doing in that regard down there with the Dynamo. He obviously came from the USU 20 set up. Paul, I don't, I don't know a ton about this guy, and I don't know if he would be down for something like this, but he is someone that Pat Onstad has worked with in Columbus. They, they were on the same staff when Onstad was the goalkeeper coach under Burhalter. Um, Nico Estevez. USMNT assistant right now, uh, formerly the coach of Valencia. He is a Spaniard, 41 years old, came to Columbus, I think, in 2014 or 15, and has been with Burhalter ever since. I think he's a pretty well-regarded guy for the most part. Uh, obviously has that relationship with Onstad. I don't know. Maybe he's looking for a head job. It's awkward timing with qualifying in the World Cup on the way, but that could be interesting. I've heard his name in the mix for jobs that are currently open. I, I would not be surprised um, if his name was in the mix for this one be- because of those connections he mentioned. I think we also have to talk about Dom Kinnear, Onstad's former coach at the Dynamo. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, yeah, it's really it's really just getting the gang back together, right? That's what that, yeah. that's what that is. I mean, yeah. He's a well-respected guy. He did not have success at the end in Houston, but that was just one year. And he did not have success in San Jose when he went there. Um, but still a well-respected coach in this league. I don't know. I don't think it would be the most inspiring hire for most teams, but for Houston, I, I think, might make some noise in that market. I don't know. I think if you're going to be talking about moving the club forward, you can't go that far back. You, you can't with multiple hires. <laughs> they, they just did. With, on, if you're going to move forward, you can't go back. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't just bring back. Oh, we're just you know we're gonna hire Stu Holden as the technical director, and yeah, we're gonna have you know Dwayne DiRosario as the academy director, and yeah, you know Luis Angel Landin, bring him in. No, yeah, yeah. remember some guys. Is that what we're gonna do? Remember some guys. Yeah. The two thousand. I love remembering guys. Oh, I love remembering guys. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really think a big push needs to be made in Houston to connect to the Mexican community to tap into the Mexican market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would I be talk, the smart I talked to Onstad the other day. He said the same exact thing. I asked him, you know, there's a big Mexican-American population in your town, Pat. And he was like, yeah, I'm aware. I really want to tap into that. I want to do that as soon as this offseason. I want to sign some players out of Mexico. So 
with one of those three DP spots, maybe we'll see that. Um, but a lot of work to do with that club, man. Like Tab Ramos finished his tenure with the Dynamo with the worst points per game average of any coach in MLS history who has coached at least 50 games. That's really bad. <laughs> it was like 0.88 points per game. And he wasn't inheriting a good situation there. He was walking into a tough spot. Um, but he didn't really elevate things there either. And I think that's fair to say. So, uh, I don't know. It, it could be a long process. The one thing that I did, you know, Onstead and I talked about with in regards to those DP spots, Paul, and, and he mentioned acquisition costs is something that are important to your earlier point. Um, but I was like, hey, Paul Tenorio on, and I on allocation disorder, we talk about this all the time. I didn't say that to him. But the Chicago Fire two years ago, if we wind that back, you know, they had a similar situation. New GM coming in, short timeline, has to hire a coach, three DPs, new owner. They signed three DPs before the season started, and maybe all three of them are going to be gone in like a week. <laughs> and they've been really bad the next two years. And I think Onstad's exact quote, I'm pulling it up right now, um, and I can't find it. It doesn't matter. He basically called it dangerous. <laughs> he was like, we need to be prudent. He's like, I would love to sign 3DPs this week and completely change the face of our team, but I think that's unrealistic, and I also think that's dangerous. What I want to do is I would like to build a big, good core for this group. I think we have some pieces that are core players in our league, but I'd like to improve it. And once we get to that point where we think, okay, who's a player or players that can push this core over the edge, then we go out and purchase those players. So I think it'll be kind of a methodical buildup. I don't think it's going to be something crazy overnight, but I do think we could see a big splash or two, perhaps, this offseason for Houston. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would be an advocate of taking your time on the DP signings <laughs> because if you get those wrong, you're stuck in a two- to three-year bad contract, and it really hurts. And in MLS, you can't just bench that guy and sign somebody for equal value. It doesn't work that way like it does elsewhere in the world. Pat Onstad knows that. Um, I think he'll take his time. That doesn't mean that, hey, if the right guy comes around, yeah, yeah, you yeah. jump on it. But, you know, I, I always think about this interview I did with um with Garth Lagerway when I was writing about the success of Toronto and Seattle. And he talked about how long their process is in Seattle when they're signing DPs and, and wanting sign off from every single person involved in the process, every single person saying yes before they do it. And he said people in the organization hate him when they're signing DPs because he insists on it going through this arduous process, but that in the end it, it gives you a little bit more belief security that you're going to get yeah. it right. They in the end it gives you Nicola de Raul Riediz and Jao Paulo. Yeah. You, you, they haven't hit a, like a hundred percent of their signings, but they've been they way better. on those three. <laughs> they've been way better than most. And, and that yeah. shows, you know, take your time, take your time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of taking your time, Paul, Here's a good transition. I'm psyched about this one. San Jose Earthquakes. They are certainly <laughs> taking their time great, great with, transition. Their, with their GM search. <laughs> uh, you know, we talk about Onstead. He got hired. Chris Albright, he got hired a month ago now in Cincinnati. Um, San Jose fired their GM, Jesse Fiorinelli, on June 29th. That was more than a month before Cincinnati moved on from NICOMP and more than two months before Houston moved on from Matt Jordan. They still have not hired a GM. Uh, this is a club who trotted out their COO, Jared Shawley, to myself and to other reporters. In late July, he told us at that point 
that they had identified a short list of four or five GM candidates and that they were going to start interviewing those guys after the secondary window closed on August 5th. And he was like, yeah, we think we're going to have a hire in place sometime in September. Paul, it's November 4th as we sit here recording this. In 54 minutes, it's going to be November 5th. The season ends in two days from now, three days, whatever. It ends soon. <laughs> uh, San Jose has a lot of questions, and they don't. They still don't have a GM. Chris Leach is there. He's their technical director. He's been there since 2009. He's been running the show. He's made a big trade, Jeremy Abobasi. Um, the expectation is that he's going to get this job, but it's just like, what? what are we doing? What are we doing, San Jose? What is the point of this? Why, why is this taking so long? I called the club the other day. I asked. Uh, they declined to comment on why exactly it's taking so long. Um, I've talked to people who have theories about why it's taking so long, but to be frank, they don't know firsthand, so it's not really worth speculating on what they said. But I think we do know what this says about the team, and it's just sort of reinforcing a lot of things. Paul, I've been talking a lot. What do you think about this process and how drawn out it's been and what it says about San Jose and where it leaves them? Because it leaves them in a tough spot heading into this offseason. Yeah, my thing is, it's like, what are you saying to the fan base? What are you saying to the fan base? You're saying you don't care. It, it doesn't inspire confidence in Chris Leach. And no. it it shows a lack of urgency, which, like you said, makes it seem as though you don't care or that you're not prioritizing the club or preparing for the future the way you could be. I think it sends a bad message to Chris Leach, too. You know, if he's the guy, make him the yeah, guy. He probably doesn't feel great. Yeah, yeah, make him the guy. Secure this, get it done, and and move forward. It's it's a weird, weird, weird dynamic, and I, I don't know. It doesn't inspire confidence in what's going to happen next year in San Jose. What the budget's going to look like? What the man? Like, I mean, it's just like think about this team right now. Matias Almeida, he's guaranteed through next year, according to what I've been told. He has obviously got a very specific system. That's not going right? to happen, Sam. They cannot do that. They can't. They cannot do what? They can't rebuild the roster with Matias Almeida staying as a lame duck coach. No, you can't. You either you extend, extend him or you let him Or go. you move on. And that's that. And then you build the team accordingly. But here we are, man. One of the reasons they moved on from Fiorinelli all the way back in June, when the season was 11 games old or something like that, was so they could get a head start on this process. That head start's gone. They're now behind the eight ball. They're now late on this stuff, right? They might be moving on from a head coach, right? Who, if they, if I mean, the expectation is Leach, but God forbid they bring in an external candidate at this point. That person has to move to San Jose, has to get settled, has to get acquainted with the club, maybe has to get acquainted with the league, has to get acquainted with a head coach who he immediately has to make a decision on, and then has to sign and cut a whole bunch of players. Like, you're screwed for next year. If that's the case, it would take a miracle just to be decent. Leach, obviously, he knows what he's already working in. He's already working in it. So you wouldn't have as many of those problems. But it's still, like you said, it sends a message to the fan base. And I don't know. It's just this club has never, since it was reborn in 2008, and since John Fisher has been owner, it's just like never really had a, a visible or noticeable plan. Like, what are the San Jose Earthquakes known for? Like, the 2012 Goonies season when they got super lucky? Yeah, but look at look at their hires. 
like that's that's been it's been indicative of not knowing who you want to be, what you're doing, yeah. who you're listening to. Like Fiorinelli was totally out of nowhere, <sighs> and and it didn't take long after he was hired. If you made a Mikel couple calls. Stare, remember that one? Oh my goodness! But but when when Fiorinelli was was hired, you, you you know as a reporter, you start making phone calls and you start hearing things of, you know, was he qualified for the job that he took in San Jose and um, with what he had done at Roma and. And it didn't work out at all there. And, and and then when they hired Almeida, you were like, oh, my God, maybe maybe Fiorinelli has found the answer to, yeah. to, thing, to turn things around. A huge profile. But then if you don't – if you hire Almeida and you don't provide him the budget necessary to give him the players he's going to want to play with, the style he wants to play – and they've, they've brought players in for him. I'm not saying they haven't brought players in for him. But – But they're consistently one of the lowest spenders. You've got to match the the – if you bring in a coach of that stature – you should be sending a signal that with your player signings too. The ambition should match. It well, did not. like let let's compare this to the Red Bulls. Gerhard Struber, they spent almost three million dollars to sign him, the transfer fee, quote unquote, to get him out of Barnsley last year. It's similar overall spend to the San Jose Earthquake, similar in a very kind of high octane, pressing, unique sort of system, right? But the Red Bulls are able to kind of succeed year over year and you know we'll see if they make the playoffs this year they haven't been great this year so i'm not trying to gas them up or anything but they're able to succeed because they have they have a vision they have a plan they have infrastructure around it san jose doesn't have a vision they don't have a plan they don't have infrastructure around it almeida has tactics he has a plan right but if there's nothing to support him then what can you really do and by the way that that plan has been found out and it's not a great plan like it just isn't <laughs> it worked chivas worked great uh, it didn't work very well with this group of players in MLS, and and that's been borne out over three years now. So I I don't know where they go. I just hope that someone decides to care about that team, someone that owns it, someone named John Fisher. But it doesn't really look good. Yeah, I mean we we tell these stories all the time about MLS teams, and from the outside, it seems pretty obvious what it would do to make it better. And sometimes it just takes a little bit more commitment from the person signing the checks. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be bigger checks. Just has to be a little more TLC in some cases. Uh, They're not getting that out there. Given how John Fisher run the, runs the A's. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, But Hey, we'll see a lot of other unsettled situations in MLS as well. I'm sure we'll be breaking those down in due time. This show has been going on for an hour. So we're going to wrap that here. We are coming to you next week from Columbus, Ohio. I don't know exactly what our schedule is from Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. Not Columbus. I mean, we could, it's not that far away. We could go to Columbus. Let's <laughs> just go like to the Hell is Real sign and, and broadcast from there. There you go. Meet us on the interstate. We're going to be in a cornfield in between Cincinnati and Columbus. We'll be in Cincinnati, me and Paul and Felipe. Felipe Cardenas will be in Cincinnati with us. Um, we'll record after the game. I don't know if we're going to record on Thursday too. We should probably talk to Taylor and Joe about that at some point. If you guys are listening, if you made it this far, congrats. Hit us up. Let's talk about schedule for next week. Until then, thanks for staying with us. This has been Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam. He's Paul. Until next time, from wherever we are in Ohio.